or you missed a little taste of heaven, a little peek behind the veil to see what God is doing, how he is lighting up the world life by life by life. And, you know, we're really praying that 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 event, the reason we're streaming it again on October 14th, and I hope you'll watch it if you missed, is because we're hoping not only that event, but this series would actually begin a wave of God's love that sweeps across our city and wherever you're watching and really changes the loneliness quotient that that song was talking about. You know, that changes it in South Austin for you who are at Gateway South. You there? Yeah, or changes it in Central Austin for our Gateway Central campus. Changes it in Branson for our Branson campus. Wherever you are in the world, here at North, wherever you live in in the Northern Hemisphere, right? That we could actually be God's elements to change the world around us. He can use us to do that. Because as that One Republic song sang, it is a lonely world. You may not realize it, but people are desperate for a connection to loving community like we have here at Gateway. And it's not just One Republic that's noticed. You know, Psychology Today wrote this recently. Loneliness is an epidemic. We're going through times of profound social change. The internet and other new social technologies are huge drivers of this epidemic, allowing us to remain in touch with each other without actually having to connect with them. And this lack of social connection They go on to talk about how it actually, in our brain chemistry, mimics what happens when we are starving to death. Isn't that interesting? People are literally starving to death for love, for a loving connection, because God created us for community. In fact, researchers in the UK found that social isolation is actually harmful to our health. They, They wrote this, lacking social connections is a comparable risk factor for early death as smoking 15 cigarettes a day and is worse than obesity and physical inactivity. Isn't that crazy? Now, don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean you can sit around, smoke a pack a day on the couch as long as you have a couch potato buddy smoking with you and and say you're healthy. That's not it, okay? It just shows you how serious this is. And friends, people may look like they're doing fine on the outside, but you wouldn't believe how people are struggling on the inside. You know, I got permission to read this email that reminds me of that. She, she wrote me, writes, at age five, I was raped by my father, later abused by my sister. In high school, I lived with another family and the guardian father sexually molested me. After several attempted suicides, I learned to deal with life by using an eating disorder to feel in control, she said. I worked, I went through the motions, and most people thought I was a happy person. Don't miss that. Most people thought I was a happy person, but I was dead inside. I had no hope. I'd hardened my heart to God. I distanced myself from people. I'd learned to protect myself from being hurt again, but at the cost of having no real life. People everywhere are struggling. And that's why I'm challenging us in this 20th year as a church, that you would love the 20 neighbors and coworkers around you with the love of God, because nothing is more important. You know, Jesus cared about the people that the religious people of his day didn't care about. You know that, right? 
That was the clash. That was the tension. Jesus confronted the religious of his day because they started to think all about themselves and they had no mercy, no love, no compassion for a hurting world around them. And that lit the fuse that ended in Jesus' crucifixion. Ironically, though, God used it for the greatest good for the world in his sovereignty. But people are struggling. And that's why Jesus, uh, one day, when these religious experts tried to trap him, it says an expert in religious law tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, here, you got to understand something. The religious of his day loved to argue about which commandment was the most important, Okay. Which rule was the most important? In fact, they made rules around the rules. They had 613 rules around the Ten Commandments to make sure they didn't break the Ten Commandments. They don't break the rules around the rules, no problem, right? I'm serious. This is, this is true. Now, here at Gateway, we only have two rules. You can't bring your cat into the service and no country western music. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, all right? God loves them both, and I'm working at it. <laughs> I actually have KVAT on my FM dial now, okay? I'm working. I'm working at it. But Jesus challenged the religious of his day because they created this us-them, looking down at others as not as good as they were, and they completely miss God's heart. So Jesus answers the question, Matthew 22 you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. In other words, you want to sum up the whole Bible, Jesus said, these, do these two. Incredibly simple. Love God with all you've got, your heart, mind, and soul. Which, by the way, we're going to see in this series... If you don't learn what it means to love God and trust him and let him teach you, you probably will not be able to consistently love your neighbor or coworker. Why? Well, because they do stupid things, right? They let their dog poop in your yard and they don't even clean it up while you're looking. They gossip at work about you, right? They're too liberal or they're too conservative. It's hard to love people right? It's just not that easy. We want to be people who love our neighbors and coworkers, but it just sometimes is not that easy. I remember when Kathy and I moved back to Austin to start Gateway 20 years ago, you know, we had little kids and we wanted to be intentional about reaching out to our, our neighbors and they had little kids. So I started coaching soccer for a lot of their little kids and, and then we'd have parties and, and we got to know the neighbors and over the, the next five years, even though only one out of 10 of the families went to church, we became this incredibly caring, loving community of people. And five out of the 10 families started coming to our church exploring faith because they met many of you and they saw what it looked like for people to really care about people. And they came, many of them came to faith. And one marriage was saved. They still thank us today saying, you guys saved our marriage when they came to faith and then worked at it. Uh, one woman was an alcoholic and verbally abusive to her kids. She overcame alcoholism when she came to faith and she became this incredibly loving, patient mom. A single mom got help on all kinds of projects. That changed me and Kathy. And it helped our kids see what Jesus meant what he was trying to communicate in the world, create in the world. But 
Within seven years, all of them moved away and we were starting over. And then it was not so easy. Because honestly, like we went through one crisis after another about that time. Our kids were middle school years. It was like taxi driving season. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, And and we kind of got beat up. And when you're wounded, it's hard to care about others. But we tried. uh, We tried to love our neighbors. Sometimes it was hard. Sometimes it's hard to even like our neighbors, quite honestly. Like there was one neighbor who, renters, I counted somewhere between five and eight 20-somethings that seemed to live there. And, and, and Saturday night, I'm trying to get some sleep to come and speak to you on Sunday morning about 2 or 3 a.m., consistently car door slamming, cussing, fighting in the front yard, beer cans in my yard the next day. And yet still we tried, tried to get to know him. I, I took the guy to work several times, just got the emotional Heisman from him. And I started to notice that the cops were hanging out a lot more, kind of like stalking them. And then ironically, we decided to have a a Gateway High School party at our house one night, and the neighbors called the cops on us. We got busted. I love telling the police, you just busted a church high school party. You know what's going on in here, in the neighborhood? Well, they did. And uh, not long after, one of them got busted for selling heroin, went to prison. Yeah, that's not the worst part. The worst part is he had cats and left them. (laughs) And none of his roommates cared for the cats at all. And my wife and and my son have huge hearts of compassion, so they started feeding the cats. And it was winter, so they opened the garage and made beds in my garage for the cats. And soon more cats came, and I would come home doing a cat apocalypse every day. (laughs) Kiki. Calypso, the yellow cat I never learned the name of. Ben, the smoker cat. I called him the smoker cat because he sounded like he'd been smoking eight out of his nine lives. <laughs> I'm not kidding. His meow was like, meow. And I was like, what happened to that cat? Ironically, God actually taught me to love cats through that. But it wasn't always easy. See, Everybody wants to change the world. Nobody wants to love their neighbors or coworkers, not when they're difficult. But you got to persist. Jesus says, Love your neighbor. And we all say, Yeah, absolutely, got that. I don't hate my neighbor. Therefore, I love him, right? No. No, love your neighbor, Jesus said, as yourself. Like, like I love myself. You mean I got to think about my neighbor like I think about myself? Think about how much you think about yourself. Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said. As myself. You mean I've got to care about my neighbor as much as I care about myself, like investing time and money and, you know, to meet my needs? I got to care about my neighbor like that? Yeah, as yourself. You mean I I have to treat my neighbor the way I would want to be treated? Like with encouragement and listening to, my, to me and caring about me like that? Yeah. Love your neighbor like you love yourself, Jesus said. And it's equally important. Look at that. Jesus said it's equally important to loving God. Isn't that wild? You can't really do one without doing the other. And friends, that's why I'm challenging you to get intentional about the 20 neighbors or coworkers that God has already put in your life. 
The 20 may feel overwhelming. Start with one. And then the next one. And the next one. But I guarantee there are at least that many people who don't know how much God loves them or cares about them and they're struggling. But you don't see it yet. But God does. So that's why in this series, we're going to look at what Jesus did and we're going to use him as an example. Now, here at Gateway, we believe that Jesus was the bringing together of the divine character of God with what humanity was supposed to be. Now, you might not be there yet. You may not believe that yet. You might think like I used to, that that's just a silly myth. I hope you'll stick around and explore with an open mind because I think you'll find what I found. Just go out on our website, go to Explore Faith on our website, listen to some of those messages. I found out, oh, there is a lot of historical proof that this is real and true. But even if you're not there yet, consider this. You know, lots of humans have made an impact on humanity. Most by force. Most by military might, right? Forcing their way. Some by their writings. None have ever made as large of an impact as Jesus did by doing nothing except saying he was coming to show us God's love. To teach us and show us even to the point of serving and laying down his life and then saying to his followers, and you do the same. I mean, if Jesus was not powered by God, there's something wild there. There's some anomaly to human history and human nature. So we're going to look at, at Jesus' example of what he does, because I think it's what love does. And first and foremost, love cares. That's what we're talking about today. Love cares. It says in Matthew chapter 9, where we're going to kind of camp out today, that Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, about the kingdom of God, that God is for you. He's not against you. And he healed every disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds of people, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus went to where ordinary people live. He didn't stay all walled up in a holy huddle. Now, here's the thing. It's important for us to grow together spiritually. That's why we have life groups, to come together with like-minded people to grow spiritually, but then not to stay like that. Jesus took his life group out to the streets, to where people lived, to care and meet the needs of people. He had compassion because he could see beneath the surface. See, Jesus could see beneath the games people play, beneath the, I'm doing great, fake it till you make it, you know, never show your weak side, game of life that everybody plays. But God sees and God cares. And the question is, do we care? Do you realize how much God cares about you? That, that God cares about the things you're struggling with. God cares about your anxieties. God cares about your hurts. He cares about the addictions that nobody knows except you. He cares about all of it. And, and he wants to enter into life with you. You know, Jesus came to show us that God's not standing there ready to condemn, but to forgive and help. That's what Jesus did. He made a way that God could forgive and guide anyone who wants it for free. And that's why it says, give all your worries and cares to God. He cares about you. He cares about you. And that's why we have to start by being in it with God and with each other so that we grow and heal to realize, but it's not just about me. He cares equally about everyone. And what he does is he 
freely forgives us in Christ and then he adopts us as his own family and then he wants to teach us as his family how to receive his love and give it to one another because, and this is important, he loves us and cares about us primarily through each other. That's important to understand. In fact, John, Jesus, one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his disciples says this, 1 John 4, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. In other words, seen all there is to God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. It's that God uses us to show his love to each other, which seems like a mistake to me right? It doesn't work very well, does it? Why in the world would he do that? Well, because that's why he created us. He's trying to teach us why we need him, why we need to depend on his love in order to love one another. He's restoring what was lost and broken. He's restoring us to himself and to each other. God cares because love cares and God is love. That's what love does. So how can we do that? Well, it's really simple. The first is you realize that God has you where you are for a reason. He loves you. He wants you to experience that in community with others. And then, you know, whether you love your work or hate your work, don't miss the people that God has you around that he cares about. I guarantee that there are eight to 10 people that you work with or that you play with who are struggling, but they don't know God cares. You may love where you live, you may hate where you live, but don't miss the people that God's already put around you because I guarantee there are eight to 10 people who are lonely or isolated or struggling and God cares, but do we care? And he wants to show his care through us. And just think if all of us listening to this or that will listen to this, if we would take this seriously and we would say, okay, God, you show me life by life, the 20 people in my workplace, neighborhood, play place that, that you want me to demonstrate your love to. If we all did that, that would be a wave that would sweep across about 100,000 people. Can you imagine? Because one person can change the atmosphere in their surroundings. Imagine if we all did. Just an example, a great example I heard this week. In Elgin, um, this, this story came to me. You know, we have those love everyone life by life signs. Thousands of you have put them in your yard. It was great to go around yesterday and see some because, you know, we are in such a politically charged, divisive, hate-filled world right now, right? Everybody's taking a stand against each other for their man or woman. And it's divisive, right? And yet, we need to stand, but we need to stand for the love of God that can heal and unite our divided world. And so many of you are, many of you are taking a stand. So, so this is really cool because Mark and Cassie uh, go to Gateway Central, but they live in Elgin. And uh, they've been intentionally doing what we're talking about for years. They've been meeting their neighbors, getting to know their neighbors. And so when Deborah and Thomas moved in a couple years ago, they went and met them and got to know them. And then two weeks ago, a horrible event happened. That's still not clear what exactly happened. 
but a new neighbor who had just moved in shot and killed Thomas, Deborah's husband, on the front doorstep. And it was absolutely horrible. And the shooter was white and Thomas was African-American. And on the neighborhood app that most of the neighborhood is on, all of a sudden, all kinds of hate began to erupt on the app. Mark and Cassie had taken a sign, but they hadn't put it in their yard yet. And when they saw all the vitriolic, you know, talk going on and how it was escalating, they decided we're going to put the sign out, love everyone life by life. And then they decided to go over and just be with Deborah and try to minister to her. And so they're sitting with this grieving widow and she, of course, is irate, angry, and low, sad. I mean, it's grief, right? And she's going through all these emotions and they're just weeping with her. And then all of a sudden she looks out the window and stops and says, where did you get that sign? I want one of those. And they said, at church. And she said, you go to church? And they said, yeah, in fact, our, our pastor, Kenny, our Gateway Central pastor, you know, if you would like, would probably come meet with you and just, you know, talk with you and pray with you. And she said, I would like that. And then she asked, can I get some of those signs? And they said, sure. So Kenny goes this week to just meet with her and, and pray with Deborah. And as he's driving along, look at what he sees in Elgin. All these signs, that's so great. Signs. Love everyone. Life by life. Whoop, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. That's what I'm talking about. It just keeps on going. Look at that. <laughs> Deborah. Now think about it. This hurting, grieving widow, Deborah, takes 20 signs. And instead of multiplying hate, she goes and gives them to all her neighbors and says, this is the kind of place we want to live in. This is the kind of love that can heal our divided world. She changed the atmosphere when she should just be grieving. Isn't that amazing? You can change the atmosphere. And it's what our world needs. People are hurting everywhere. And friends, hurt people hurt people. This is what the world needs. The love of God, though, can heal all that, can turn the tide, can change the atmosphere. So it starts really simply. You got to get to know the names of the people around you. You can't love someone if you don't even know their name, right? And then you got to start to get to know them, hear their story. And I'm going to encourage you to write down their name and start to pray for them. Just begin praying for a different person around you each day. Why? What will that do? It will reorient you to begin to see the world as God sees it. That's what will happen. You know, Jesus, after he sees the crowds and sees beneath the surface and has compassion, here's what he goes on and says. He said to his disciples, his followers, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray, pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his field. God wants you to see the need. There are hurting people all around you, all the time. You know, all of us struggle. We're all hurting, but we're not meant to hurt or struggle alone. See, God wants us to learn how to depend on him and each other, to heal one another. 
We can't really see all the isolation and hurt, but God can. He knows what's going on. And when you begin to pray for just one person, then another, then another, watch what he'll do. He'll begin to show you what's going on and how you can demonstrate his care and love to that person. But there's a bigger problem. We're busy. You know, John Darley and Daniel Batson did an experiment to replicate the story of the Good Samaritan with seminary students. And here's what they did. The seminarians were first interviewed and asked, why did you want to go into ministry? The vast majority said, I wanted to help people. And then they were given an assignment. Half of them were told to prepare a sermon on the Jesus Good Samaritan parable, which if you don't remember it, it's about a, a, a guy who was mugged and left for dead on the side of the road, and several religious people walked right by him because they were busy doing important stuff, but a Samaritan who was thought to be immoral stopped and helped, and Jesus' point was the Samaritan fulfilled the commands of God and, and loved their neighbor, but the religious didn't. That was the point. So they gave half of them that sermon to give and the other half they gave a different sermon to give and and then they said okay now you're going to go across campus and give that sermon now they hypothesized that those who said they went into ministry in order to help people and who were giving a sermon on the good samaritan would be most likely to stop and help a play actor that they positioned in on the way who was slumped over groaning loud enough for passerbyers to hear and they hypothesized that, you know, of course the people who went into ministry to help people and were preaching on the Good Samaritan would stop, right? Not so much. Because there was one other variable they introduced. Right before the seminarians went, the researcher looked at their watch and said one of two things. Either, oh, you're late. They've been waiting for you a few minutes. You better hurry. Or the second thing was, oh, you're early. They're not expecting you for a few minutes, but why don't you start on over? Here's what they found. Only 10% of the seminary students who were in a hurry stopped to help the guy slumped over groaning. 90% didn't help a guy slumped over groaning even though they were in a hurry to talk about the good Samaritan parable. Can you believe it? But what they discovered, what they said is, it didn't matter whether someone wanted to help people or how much of the Bible they knew. The only thing that mattered was whether they were in a hurry. And he said, the words, you're late, had the effect of making an ordinarily compassionate person indifferent to the needs of others. And we're busy people. Busy, busy, busy. But if we're too busy to do the, the one thing God said is most important, to love God by letting him show us how to love our neighbors and coworkers, what are we so busy for, right? So we've got to learn to be available to God in the busyness of life, which means we need to reorient. And this is important. It doesn't mean you have to change what you do. It's, it means you have to reorient how you do what you do. It was an interesting study done by Kaiser on dieting. 1,700 participants um, were asked simply to write down what they ate and then they studied those against others who didn't. And they found that those who simply wrote down what they ate, didn't matter what they ate. If they just started writing it down, it doubled their weight loss. And, and here's why. They said 
because they became aware of their habits and it changed their behavior. That's why I'm going to ask you, if you're serious about this, to start to write down the names of the people that God shows you around you and pray for them. Just pray for one a day and just rotate them each day because it will reorient how you go through your busy day. It will allow you to suddenly be interruptible by God. You'll still get as much done, believe me, but you won't miss what's most important. And that's why on our Gateway app, um, which if you haven't downloaded it, if you're going to do this, then go download the Gateway app. It's going to be up there. There. <laughs> Just text Gateway app to 77977. That'll lead you to it because there are other Gateway churches out there. And then on it, we have that L-E-L by L, Life by Life Challenge. Click on that and join us. Make a commitment. Because here's the deal. This isn't the first time we've talked about this, is it? No, we've talked about it a lot. But we all get busy and forget. We need each other. We need reminders. We need help. So join in with us. And here's what we're going to do. It's going to be kind of like the 6060 app. We're going to send you reminders, not as much. And our pastors will send you encouragement and equipping so that we keep at this over the next few years. Because look, if you are committed to loving the 20 neighbors and coworkers and people that you do life with around you over the next couple of years, not for the short haul, for the long haul, that will sweep across 100,000 people in our city and around the world. Imagine. And if you were at the 20-year and you saw, you know, what God does is a ripple effect, life by life by life, and he wants to do it through you. And one day in heaven, he's going to show you the tremendous impact of your life because of your simple faithfulness, because that, friends, is all God needs us to do is to truly love him enough to let him change us, to truly love the people around us, and he changes the world. Remember that woman who was abused by her father and isolated and dead inside? One of you did that for her. You started to show her the love of God, and you started to invite her to church, and she came, and she came to faith, and here's how she finishes her email. I finally realized that God was calling me to himself. I was just blown away by how simple the whole thing could have been if only I had not fought so hard with God. All those years taking the wrong path because I'd become so willful. All those years of struggle and the answer was right before me. I can't believe the change. It's like I was just released from a concentration camp and I suddenly have life. The contrast from being oppressed to suddenly having peace and joy is impossible to describe. Supernatural. I know I have a long journey ahead of me, but I realize I'm truly not alone. I'm truly not alone. I got the message, and I'm so grateful to be alive. Thanks, Gateway Church, she writes. So I'm going to turn it over to our campus pastors, but before I do, I just want to challenge all of us. While we sing this song, don't just sing these words. If you're ready, say to God, okay, God, I want to be your conduit to the 20 or so people around me life by life. I'm willing. And then get out your app. During the song, you know, 
join in with us. Let's help one another. Not just hear what Jesus says, do what he says.